Hello, I'm Helen Shaw, Solicitor in the Criminal Indictable Section at Central Sydney, and this podcast is about special hearings. A previous presentation of mine, which is on the podcast app, is a presentation on fitness hearings. So it would be best if you haven't already heard the fitness hearing podcast to listen to that one first and then to listen to this one. There is some overlap because I did discuss some procedures about special hearings in my previous podcast, but this one is specifically about special hearings. Special hearings take place in the District and the Supreme Courts, and they occur after a person has already been found unfit by the District Court or the Supreme Court. A special hearing happens after somebody has not only been found unfit by the court, but then they have been referred to the Mental Health Review Tribunal, and the tribunal has found the person unfit and unlikely to become fit in the next 12 months after the court's finding of unfitness. Hopefully that all makes sense, but I'll be going through some parts of the legislation and I'll also discuss an example of a fitness hearing that I had towards the end of this podcast. The relevant legislation for special hearings is the Mental Health Forensic Provisions Act 1990 and I'm discussing state criminal matters, so this does not touch on Commonwealth matters. So what is a special hearing? According to section 19.2 of the Mental Health Forensic Provisions Act 1990, a special hearing is a hearing for the purpose of ensuring, despite the unfitness of the person to be tried in accordance with the normal procedures, that the person is acquitted unless it can be proved to the requisite criminal standard of proof that on the limited evidence available, the person committed the offence charged or any other offence available as an alternative to the offence charged. The onus in a special hearing, as you can see from section 19, subsection 2, is still on the Director of Public Prosecutions to prove all the elements of the criminal charges beyond a reasonable doubt. So can the Crown prove the elements of the offence beyond a reasonable doubt? You need to still look at that and to see whether uh, the appropriate verdict really should be one of not guilty. Is an alternative charge more appropriate? Does the charge on indictment aim too high? Is the indictment correct? As defence lawyers, we should still prepare the special hearing as if we are preparing a trial for a fit person. Look at all the evidence. What defences are available to your client? Treat your client the same as if they were a fit person in that respect. Cross-examine witnesses as appropriate. Challenge evidence where appropriate. Call evidence where appropriate. An unfit person in a special hearing does still have a right to give evidence. Have the appropriate charges been prosecuted? Can you make applications to exclude certain evidence? And what legal arguments need to be run? Pre-trial legal arguments, or legal arguments within the trial, wadiers and things like that. So a special hearing is essentially a trial in the district court or Supreme Court, usually by judge alone, for a person who has previously gone through a fitness hearing and been found unfit by the court. 
they've been referred to the tribunal, they've been found unfit by the tribunal and unlikely to become fit in the next 12 months. And the prosecution have still decided to continue criminal proceedings against the person. For example, I had a client who was charged with murder and he had an intellectual impairment which was diagnosed as a young child. He also had alcohol brain injury, epilepsy and possible head injuries from repeated falls during epileptic fits and also unconscious um, drunken falls. So I had the neuropsychologist test him and she found him unfit to be tried and uh, the Crown's expert also agreed. So we went to a fitness hearing in the Supreme Court and he was found unfit as expected and the Mental Health Review Tribunal found him unfit and unlikely to become fit essentially because of that intellectual impairment. And then the DPP decided to proceed with the charge of murder. And the other aspect of the case, um, at special hearing, we had to look at the defences to the charge. Uh, the psychiatrist, who I briefed after the neuropsychologist, uh, determined that my client had a defence of substantial impairment or a partial defence of substantial impairment by abnormality of mind, which in practical terms allows a verdict of manslaughter instead of murder. So I wrote to the DPP asking whether they would consider presenting a charge of manslaughter instead of the indictment for murder because the risk of course is that substantial impairment can be rejected and if it's rejected by in this case the judge alone then your client is found on the limited evidence available he would be found guilty of murder and of course that would be a far worse outcome than if he was to be successful in the uh, substantial impairment partial defence. Um, no one wants their client to be convicted of murder if, if possible. The, the representations were done partly strategically to eliminate the risk of conviction for murder, but uh, ultimately the prosecution decided to still present the indictment. My point is that just because a person's unfit, don't keep, uh, don't stop from trying to try to get the best result for them. They've still got the same rights as a fit person. And uh, yep, so the DPP rejected the representations, which was quite understandable, I guess. And the matter proceeded to special hearing with a charge of murder on the indictment. Uh, at the special hearing, admissibility of his ERISP. The, the interview with police was an issue. Uh, the neuropsychologist that I briefed suggested or was of the opinion that he was unfit to be interviewed by police because his intellectual impairment would have prevented him from understanding the cautions and his right to silence. So in her opinion, the police should not have interviewed him at all. And this was very important because he had made some admissions adverse to his interests in that interview. Um, some, in, some admissions which kind of supported intention to kill, which is uh, what the Crown needs to prove for murder. So at the special hearing, we made an application to exclude the interview with police. 
and it involved a voir dire of the officer in charge and uh, the officer in charge had conducted the ERISP and ultimately we were able to get that interview with police excluded and that was wholly, uh, that was really based on the opinion of the neuropsychologist that he was unfit to even be interviewed because of his intellectual impairment. So the partial defence of substantial impairment was raised at the defend, as the defence at the special hearing and clients at special hearing can raise any defence that's available to a fit person. The psychiatrist for the defence was of the opinion that while he did not have a mental illness because the epilepsy was not considered a mental illness and the intellectual impairment was not considered a mental illness. He did still have that defence of substantial impairment available to him because of his intellectual impairment causing an inability to properly control his actions, to control his impulses. The psychiatrist for the Crown was of the same opinion that substantial impairment by abnormality of mind was available to him. The difficulty is with substantial impairment, the Crown will usually, under their policy, will usually leave that issue to the tribunal of fact, in this case a judge alone, rather than accept the plea of guilty, a plea of guilty to manslaughter in full satisfaction. They will leave that question to a jury or the judge alone. So we still had to go through the whole trial process. Uh, in, and as you might recall, an unfit person is unable to plead guilty. So even if we could have just had uh, the manslaughter accepted, because he's unfit, he's unable to actually plead guilty to the manslaughter. So we had to go through the process and um, have hope that the judge found at verdict that he was not guilty of murder, but on the limited evidence available, um, that there was evidence to support manslaughter by substantial impairment. In practical terms, some special hearings are run very much on the papers where uh, psychiatric reports are tendered and some many statements of the brief are tendered and the judge simply reads it and makes a determination, especially if there's no dispute as to facts or the psychiatric opinion. However, uh, ultimately, it's still supposed to be as close to a trial of a fit person as possible. So some courts will prefer that witnesses get called, get cross-examined, defences run as close as possible to a trial of a fit person. So now I get to some parts of the legislation because the legislation, that is the Mental Health Forensic Provisions Act, dictates the procedures. So it's important to understand where the powers come from and why things are run the way they are. It is heavily legislation based. So if we start with uh, six, section 16 of the Mental Health Forensic Provisions Act, going back to the functions of the tribunal when a person is referred to the tribunal after having been found unfit. Uh, so once a person's found unfit, the tribunal must determine whether on the balance of probabilities the person will become fit during the 12 months after the finding of unfitness. And if the tribunal determines a person will not become fit during 12 months, 
then that is when the tribunal must notify the Director of Public Prosecutions of their determination, and that is section 16, subsection 4. So then the DPP decide whether they are continuing with the criminal proceedings. So that is governed by section 19. The court must hold a special hearing after the Director of Public Prosecutions advises them that we're still proceeding on the criminal charges. So what happens is you might, you have to, once your client's off to the tribunal, there's no next court date. So you kind of have to monitor the situation because then your case can pop back into the arraignment list in the district or the Supreme Court without you sometimes being notified, which is very frustrating. So as I touched on in my last podcast about fitness hearings, I try to keep in touch with the Mental Health Review Tribunal to see if they have communicated yet with the court or the DPP about their determination and keep in touch with the DPP just to, you know, when is this matter coming back into the court list? Okay, so you, because you don't want your client's matter coming back into court and you know nothing about it and then the court thinks that your client's unrepresented. So if the DPP, however, decide that they're not going to take further proceedings, then again, they must also uh, inform the parties and they must give advice to the Minister for Police and that's section 19 subsection 3. Personally I haven't had one that they've decided not to take further proceedings. So it doesn't stop you though from writing to the DPP and asking for a no bill if that's appropriate in your case. Um, once you know that the tribunal's decided your client's unfit and this will end up most likely as a special hearing, if it's appropriate uh, you might want to write to the DPP to consider um, no billing the matter. Um, if the DPP decide that they will not take further proceedings against the person, then the court must order the release of the person. So if your client's in custody and the DPP decide not to prosecute at special hearing, then the court must release the person. Section 21 of the legislation goes into the conduct of the special hearing. And that's where it is said at subsection one that the special hearing is to be conducted as nearly as possible as if it were a trial of criminal proceedings. And subsection two, the accused person must, unless the court otherwise allows, be represented by an Australian legal practitioner. And the fact that the person has been found unfit to be tried for an offence is to presume not to be an impediment to the person's representation. The person is found to have pled not guilty in respect of the offence charge. So even if your client really wants to plead guilty and they're telling you that, they're presumed to have pled not guilty, which can be frustrating for some unfit persons who have a strong feeling of what they want to do with their matter, but because they're unfit, they're not able to exactly do what they want to do. An accused person may raise any defence that could properly be raised if the special hearing were an ordinary trial in criminal proceedings. And as I said before, they are allowed to give evidence and that comes from section 21.3d. Now sometimes you can have a jury. So under section 21a, a judge is to try the special hearing unless election for a jury is made. And there may be some cases where you think that this is a type of matter where 
it would be more appropriate for a jury. And one of my colleagues once had a matter where the prosecution elected to have the special hearing by jury instead of judge alone. So just keep that in mind. Sometimes with a fit person, we think it would be best to have judge alone, no jury. But sometimes with a special hearing, for some reason, you might think it is best to have a jury, not judge alone. So that can be made. Uh, the practitioner can make that decision. And if the court is satisfied that the person sought and received advice in relation to an election from a practitioner and understood the advice, or the Australian legal practitioner representing the accused or the prosecutor made the decision, then the election can be made and the court will give the person a jury trial, a special hearing by jury. Under section 21B of the legislation, the verdicts available to the judge who determines a special hearing without a jury are the same verdicts which are available for a normal trial. And any verdict has the same effect as a verdict by a jury. So the verdicts available at special hearing are listed in section 22 of the legislation. You can have not guilty of the offence charged. You can be found not guilty on the grounds of mental illness. You can be found on the limited evidence available that the accused person committed the offence charged. Now note that it's not a guilty verdict, it's not a conviction, it is specifically on the limited evidence available the accused person committed the offence charged. Or you can have that on the limited evidence available the accused person committed an offence available as an alternative to the offence charged. Now, under subsection 3 of section 22, a verdict in accordance with either 1C or 1D constitutes a qualified finding of guilt. So it does not constitute a basis in law for any conviction. However, a person can still appeal that verdict. So if, if a person is found by the judge on the limited evidence available to have committed an offence or, or an alternative to the offence, they can appeal to the Court of Criminal Appeal just like any other person. And that is section 22.2c. So they have the same appeal rights. And when you lodge an appeal, it's, it's a conviction appeal, even though technically they're not convicted. So it's a bit confusing, but you would lodge a conviction appeal if you're lodging appeal against a special verdict. So what happens to a person after the completion of a special hearing? Look at section 23. The subheading is procedure after completion of special hearing. So subsection 1 indicates if, following a special hearing, it is found on the limited evidence available that an accused person committed the offence charged or some other offence available as an alternative, the court, A, must indicate whether, if the special hearing had been a normal trial of criminal proceedings against a person who was fit to be tried for the offence, which the person is found to have committed, it would have imposed a sentence of imprisonment and B, where the court would have imposed such a sentence, must nominate a term in respect of that offence, being the best estimate of the sentence the court would have considered appropriate if the special hearing had been a normal trial of criminal proceedings against a person who was fit to be tried for that offence and the person had been found guilty of that offence.
Does that make sense? Well, essentially, uh, the court has to determine if jail would be appropriate, what sentence is appropriate, just like they have to do with a fit person that's been convicted of something or has pled guilty to something. They have to determine is imprisonment an appropriate sentence or not. Now, under subsection 2, if a court indicates that it would not have imposed a sentence of imprisonment, then the court may impose any other penalty or make any other order it might have made on conviction of the person for the relevant offences in a normal trial of criminal proceedings. So in other words, the court may decide a bond is appropriate, a section 9 bond, section 10 bond, a suspended sentence, which technically is a term of imprisonment, but the court has to consider whether something you know, as an alternative to full-time imprisonment is appropriate. Subsection 3, any such other penalty imposed or order made under subsection 2 is to be subject to appeal in the same manner as a penalty or order in a normal trial of criminal proceedings. Subsection 4, in nominating a limiting term in respect of a person or imposing any other penalty or making any other order, the court may, if it thinks fit, take into account periods, if any, of the person's custody or detention before, during and after the special hearing, being periods related to the offence. So that's just like a normal sentence. The judge asks, you know, how long has this person been in custody for this offence alone? What date should the sentence commence? So the judge has discretion and so if the person has been in custody since arrest, for example, for this offence alone, then the appropriate sentence back date would be to the date of arrest. In, and same with the limiting term, the appropriate date would be to backdate to the date of arrest or when the first person first came into custody for that offence and that offence alone. Under subsection 5, a limiting term nominated in respect of a person takes effect from the time when it is nominated unless the court, A, after taking into account the periods, if any, of the person's custody or detention before, during and after the special hearing, being periods related to the offence, directs that the term be taken to have commenced at an earlier time, and that's the back date I'm talking about, or B, directs that the term commence at a later time so as to be served consecutively with, or partly concurrently and partly consecutively, with some other limiting term nominated in respect of the person or a sentence of imprisonment imposed on the person. Subsection 6, when making a direction under subsection 5b, the court is to take into account that a, a sentence of imprisonment imposed in a normal trial of criminal proceedings may be subject to a non-parole period, whereas a limiting term is not and b, in a normal trial of criminal proceedings, consecutive sentences of imprisonment are to be imposed with regard to non-parole periods. Subsection 7, if the court indicates it would not have imposed a sentence of imprisonment in respect of a forensic patient, it must notify the tribunal that a limiting term is not to be nominated in respect of the person. 
So it can be tough on a, an unfit person in that they don't get a non-parole period. They don't get a definite eligibility for release date or a definite release date from custody. They get a limiting term which is in effect the head sentence or the maximum sentence. And then they're referred to the tribunal for the duration of that time. Subsection 24, consequences of nomination of a limiting term. Subsection 1, if in respect of a person a court has nominated a limiting term, the person must be referred to the tribunal. And the court must be make, make such an order with respect to the custody of the person that the court considers appropriate. And if a court refers the person to the tribunal, then the tribunal must determine whether or not the person suffering from a mental illness or a su suffering from a mental condition for which treatment is available in a mental health facility and where the person is not in a mental health facility, whether or not the person objects to being detained in a mental health facility. Three, the tribunal must notify the court which referred the person to it of its determination with respect to that person. So the tribunal has to kind of figure out where they're going to hold that person. Section 25, special verdict of not guilty by reason of mental illness. Now a lot of our clients at special hearing, they're unfit. Many of them are unfit because of a mental illness, a psychiatric condition, and many of them will have a mental illness defence available to them. So this is quite a common section which we have to refer to. If at a special hearing the defence of mental illness is raised and the jury or judge, as the case may be, returns a special verdict that the accused person is not guilty by re reason of mental illness, the person is thereafter to be dealt with and an order may be made under this Act in respect of the person as if the jury or judge, as the case may be, had returned a special verdict at a normal trial of criminal proceedings. If a person however is found not guilty, then subsection, sorry, section 26 says if at a special he hearing it is found the accused person is not guilty of an offence charged, the person is to be dealt with as if the person had been found not guilty at a normal trial of criminal proceedings. So if that's the only matter that's holding them in custody, for example, then they're free to go. Um, if they're on bail, then they're free to go, no more bail conditions, case is finished if they're found not guilty. Section 27 of the legislation orders which covers orders that the court may make following determination of tribunal after a limiting term is imposed. So if a court is notified by the tribunal of its decision in respect to a person under section 24.3 the court may a if the tribunal has determined the person is suffering from a mental illness or that the person is suffering from a mental condition for which treatment is available in a mental health facility and the person isn't currently in a mental health facility does not object to being detained in a mental health facility uh, the court may order that the person be taken to and detained in a mental health facility 
If the person, however, does object to being detained in a mental health facility, then under subsection B, the court may order the person to be detained in a place other than a mental health facility. Subsection 28 governs the effect on other proceedings of finding on special hearing. So if, a, if at special hearing a person is found on the limited evidence available to have committed the offence charge or an alternative, then they can't be prosecuted for the same offence or substantially the same offence again. But nothing in the subsection 1 prevents other criminal proceedings referred to in the subsection from being commenced any time before the expiration of the limiting term nominated in respect of the person unless before the expiration of the limiting term the person has been released from custody as an inmate. Now, sometimes the person's mental health improves, and I've had this situation where the person has gone through a special hearing because they were found unfit originally. They get a limiting term, and while they're serving their limiting term, they continue to be seen by the tribunal every six months or so, and then the tribunal suddenly thinks, well, actually, now this person's fit. So. Under section 29, if the tribunal has notified the court that the person is now fit to be tried, then the, whether or not the special hearing has been held, the, the court, the Director of Public Prosecutions is notified and then the Director of Public Prosecutions has to determine, do we bring this back to court to go through the criminal proceedings again? and the court must hold a further fitness hearing. So you've got the tribunal saying, look, this unfit person is now fit, so the court needs to have a, have a fitness hearing, and that's where you'd get updated psychiatric report or psychological reports confirming whether the, whether the expert thinks the person's now fit. Those reports get tendered to the court, whether it's Supreme Court or District Court, whichever is the applicable court, the court finds the person fit or unfit and if the person is found fit then if the prosecution is still prosecuting them then the person can either plead guilty now that they're fit or plead not guilty and go through either sentence or a normal trial with a jury or judge alone if they elect judge alone. So and I have had that example once where the person did become fit after special hearing. We went back to the district court for a fitness hearing. He was found fit and the client indicated now he wanted to plead guilty to the charges. And so then we went to a normal sentence where he was then able to get a, a non-parole period like an ordinary fit person. So all that time in custody because he was bail refused got taken into account and his sentence was backdated to the date that he got went into custody and had spent for the, that offence alone and he got a non-parole period like a fit person and he got a parole period like a fit person so um, but all that time counted but you know it's a very very long process uh, he's, he spent nearly four years uh, 
going through the whole process from local court through all those fitness hearings, special hearing, another fitness hearing and then sentence. Um, but luckily for him, the, the charge was serious enough to warrant a four-year non-parole period, so the time was not wasted. Um, but because he became fit in the district court and became fit after a special hearing, we also argued that um, because he pleaded guilty at as soon as he became fit, um, that he was entitled to a 25% discount on sentence and the judge agreed that he had pled guilty at the earliest opportunity. So that basically brings me to the end of this topic and I'm more than happy to discuss the topic further with any of you that may have a special hearing coming up or if I haven't made anything clear please feel free to contact me, you can email me, give me a call and I'm really happy to discuss further. Thank you very much.